Yeah, thank you so much. Uh, welcome to the inaugural episode of the Cloud Native Show, uh, presented by Rackner. I'm Alex Earl, and I'm here with Stephen Orban uh, from AWS. Uh, thank you so much for being on. Yeah, thanks for having me, Alex. Yeah, no problem. So um, you are the author of Ahead in the Cloud, uh, Best Practices for Navigating the Future of Enterprise IT. Um, it's a great book. Um, I read it, you know, I've read it probably three or four times now um, as a lot of really cool case studies. Um, and I think the thing that struck me the most, you know, was your discussion of your personal history sort of starting out in more traditional IT organizations, uh, being involved in their transformation and then ending up as a big part of, you know, what many would argue is probably the most forward thinking uh, software organization on the planet right now. Um, so I'd love to hear you talk a little bit more about how that happened or, you know, sort of the process there. Yeah, sure. And uh, first of all, thanks for reading my book. I really appreciate that. It's always interesting no to people, uh, give you some feedback on something that, you know, you've worked so hard uh, to create. So, you know, look, I, I started my career as a developer um, in, uh, uh, in the early 2000s. I'm one of those people who was very lucky. I always knew what I wanted to do when I grew up. I was always very good at math and science and very interested in computers and video games and could kind of care less about uh, most other subjects, which, is, again, maybe hasn't suited me so well for other aspects of my, of my career <laughs> later in life, but that's a story for another time. And, uh, you know, I started my career as a developer and, and built a number of uh, what I think were interesting pieces of software over my first probably seven or ten years of my career. And then, you know, we started to hit this spot, this point at Bloomberg where we were investing in lots of new businesses to do slightly different things um, all at once. And because we were trying to leverage the same way we had built and deployed bare-bones IT infrastructure, so the stuff in the data center, your servers, storage, you know, networking components and the like, for a product and service, namely the Bloomberg Terminal, that had been a, you know, a fairly mature um, and highly robust latency-sensitive you know, piece of technology. And we were trying to apply all of those principles that we had learned about operating IT infrastructure at scale to all these new businesses, which were effectively startups one of which I was, I was a co-founder of and running called Bloomberg Sports. And we just couldn't move uh, as fast as we needed to move to build those businesses and meet customer demand. Um, so that was kind of the first time in my career, this was about in the 2008 timeframe, where I really started to have my eyes opened to the possibilities that could be available to, um, to, to large companies who are used to doing things a certain way using the public cloud, where you could have on-demand access to IT infrastructure literally in seconds and then only pay for what you need when you're using it. Um, and, uh, you know, we didn't end up going that route for, for a variety of reasons, most of which, from my perspective, was the lack of my political um, influence at the time. Uh, and we ended up building a private cloud, uh, which on one hand did solve a lot of the problems that... Uh, we had with how quickly we were moving and how much money we were spending on infrastructure for a bunch of new startup businesses. You know, we went from like eight weeks to eight minutes to be able being able to deploy a server, and 
and our costs decreased dramatically but we still weren't i didn't have anywhere near the amount of features or capabilities that we needed to run all these businesses and we still weren't moving anywhere near as quickly so when i went to dow jones in two thousand and twelve and i had the opportunity to be the cio there and i looked across all the different technology that that dow jones had um you know again i found kind of the same movie they had built up a lot of their own private cloud and other it infrastructure that it's maybe at one point in time was um going to be a competitive advantage for them uh but at in, in the current state where we were in 2012 2013 was just not allowing them to move as quickly as they needed to in order to keep up with the features needed that their customers wanted and their competitors were delivering so we embarked on a journey to transform the organization. Public cloud was a big part of that. AWS was my, my key partner. Um, in addition to you know moving a significant amount of things to the cloud over that period of time, um, one, I became infatuated with Amazon and AWS's culture and how they do things, and I really wanted to bring a part of that into my organization. But two, one of the things that I would say certainly in the beginning of that journey i wildly underestimated was the amount of change that was uh going to be required throughout the organization and i think we're going to come back to that in a second so i'm going to i'm going to park that thought for just a second um then i came to aws in 2014 to run our enterprise strategy and really up until the last five months when when i started to do something new and, and my role as a head of enterprise strategy I spent about half my time helping executives from the largest companies in the world go through a similar transformation, uh, whatever that meant to them, as well as taking what we've learned from these customers and building a number of programs and things that we need in our business to help enterprise customers you know, migrate or transform faster. And I would say the common theme through all of my experience, both personally leading uh, engineering organizations and transforming them to move towards a cloud-based operating model and then helping hundreds of companies over the last several years do the same thing, is that uh, the opportunity is immense and most customers and most enterprises today conceptually get and accept that the public cloud is going to help them move faster, save money, be more agile, so on and so forth. But the changes that are required in their organization to do so at any meaningful scale is really hard because they have a lot of inertia, <laughs> they have a lot of people who are in existing roles who have been doing the same things for a long period of time, they don't know how to change. Uh, and until they have a way and a playbook for how they can get from point A to point B and know how to think about training their teams, what it means to be a leader throughout that journey, creating business cases for their executive teams and their boards, uh, thinking about who they're going to partner with and work with differently, on and on and on, all of which is kind of detailed throughout my book, they're kind of stuck. Uh, so right. the book was really my compilation of the things that I have learned throughout the course of my career to help organizations navigate that change. Right, yeah, that, yeah that's, that's awesome. Um, and I guess that's actually a good segue into um, something I want to talk about. So, you know, now being part of AWS, right now your title is uh, what, general manager for a new initiative, which is, you know, question mark, I'm sure. Uh, question mark, yeah, for now. You'll find out more in 2019. Yep. Oh, good to know. Um, so now that you're on the product side of things at AWS, I'd be interested to know how you see that, you know, through the lens of your previous experience, trying to transform 
traditional, you know, organizations like is AWS the gold standard? Do they drink their own Kool-Aid or are things a little different when you're building the building blocks versus building something on top of the building blocks? Yeah, so, you know, look, just in general, Amazon is one of AWS's, um, you know, toughest customers. Amazon right. builds a number of things uh, across a wide variety of market segments. Obviously, you know the things that we're doing in, in retail on Amazon.com. We have our video <laughs> streaming service through Amazon Video, you know, Amazon Alexa, um, and then of course AWS, which, as as you know, and you know, maybe for some listeners who who might not know, we have more than 125 services. Uh, across a broad range of categories from compute, networking, storage, mobile applications, DevOps management tools, artificial intelligence, machine learning, and so on and so forth. Right. And uh, Amazon is um, a very decentralized um, organization where owners, you know, we like all of our leaders to display a strong sense of ownership. It's one of our one of our 14 leadership principles are responsible for moving their business or their service, whatever it may be. It could be the owner of, you know, this particular part of the retail website. It could be the owner of one AWS service, or it could be the owner of a component that serves all of those things. Um, those owners have generally a single threaded focus on doing what they need to do for their, their customers as quickly and efficiently <laughs> as possible and own all their roadmap and their customer communications and the like. So, as now a general manager of a, a new service under development within AWS, I am not only still part of AWS, but also an AWS customer using the rest of the services. And the rest right. of Amazon you know, operates in a similar fashion where there's other owners who own, whether it be an AWS service or, or something else. And um, you know, there is no forced, you must use this AWS service to do this sort of thing. It's really up to the you know, the leader of those businesses or, or, or that service to decide how and what they need to put together to meet their goals and objectives. It so happens that AWS is the best platform, the best set of services right. to do much of what we want to do anyway. And uh, we, we, we do not, uh, just as a, as a general overall philosophy, force people to use a particular technology or not one way or another. And we really want... Um, technology to be adopted because it's it stands on its own merits. Right, and you know that's the same thing you say in your book. That's what basically every organization should do. Um, that's awesome. Yeah, I, obviously, I'm not going to ask you too much about what your new services. I'm sure there's, yeah, something we'll hear about that. Yeah, we'll hear about that. <laughs> it is a, it is an interesting point though. I think that's one of the things that organizations struggle with. You know, like. If I think about my mental model for how enterprise IT is changing, you have what I just described in Amazon, where there's a number, literally hundreds of thousands of teams that are operating, marching to the beat of their own drum, moving as fast as possible as they can to meet their customer needs, using whatever they need to do so. And then you have your very traditional, I would say, 20-year-old thinking enterprise IT organization where there is a central CIO, there's a command and conquer, uh, command and control, you know, type of hierarchy where, you know, the technology department is the one making the decision on all the different types of technology that the rest of the organization can use. 
and often doing so with people who have very highly specialized siloed areas of expertise. And 20 years ago, that made a lot of sense because there was a lot fewer people who were super well equipped to use technology at any reasonable scale to do their jobs effectively. Well, that's changed dramatically. You know, everybody right. now has a mobile phone. My, my daughters, they're, they're nine and seven, and they've been using technology since they were eight, both 18 months old, maybe even a little younger. And I, it's not like we're encouraging it, of course, but it's not like we, we, we taught them or forced them to do that. And there is just no way I can imagine that my nine-year-old, when she enters the workforce, whatever she decides to do, whether it's in programming, engineering, IT, or otherwise, is going to be told by a central technology department what tools she can use to do her job. It's just impossible for me to imagine that. So we see a lot of these companies who are shifting from that command and control, highly centralized, you must do it this way, because they have to, because their customers, you know, the other people who are working in the company who need technology to do their things, one, are more capable to make some of these decisions themselves, and two, just can't wait um, for, right. for, for decisions to be made in that fashion any longer. Yeah. And I think I think that segues really well into um, something else I want to talk about. So, you in your book you talk about how um, sometimes creating like a cloud center of excellence or some sort of centralized entity within a company is like a great way to sort of up cloud expertise throughout the organization as a whole. Um, yeah. There's also a separate, you know, a separate discussion about partners like the APN uh, program. Uh, we're an AWS partner, so I really know this too. Um, do you see there being like a macro trend that, or chapter in your book, I think it was titled uh, Accelerator Cloud Strategy with Partners, it was written in 2016. Um, do you there, see there being a different macro trend now in 2018 between people, you know, harnessing partners or is now, you know, is cloud expertise ubiquitous enough that now companies are really uh, focusing on insourcing, obviously the insourcing, outsourcing pendulums on a constant swing. Um, yeah. But is there any trends you see? Yeah, there are trends. I would say largely the trends that I outlined in my book have not meaningfully changed course. Uh, having okay. said that, a um, couple of things, a couple of things to unpack in what you said. So the insourcing, outsourcing pendulum, as you said, swings all over the place. And it swings, it, uh, that is not a macro trend. It swings in, in individual organizations in my view. And there's a okay. whole set of companies who, in the late 90s, early 2000s, viewed uh, IT, specific, specifically infrastructure and operations, as a commodity play and outsourced it to a large number, to, to a small number of large providers, you know, mainly out of India, uh, for <laughs> perceived significant cost savings. And I don't have a position in one way or another against outsourcing in that fashion. I think there's a time and a place for it if it's managed well. But a lot of these companies have told us, and, and myself included when I was at Dow Jones, this was our case, got burned by that uh, right. because they were actually not able to move as quickly as they needed to and ended up feeling nickel and dimed every time they wanted to do something differently that wasn't initially set up in some contractual vehicle or whatever. So they're looking for kind of a new way forward and oftentimes they will start with the premise that we don't want to do that again so we're going to take the insourcing route. Now the problem right. there is still uh, another thing you said is has cloud expertise become ubiquitous enough where everybody can do this themselves? The answer to that is absolutely not. And if there is one thing that I feel is um, um, you know stunting the 
adoption of cloud it's how quickly people are able to obtain people as in you know i t personnel worldwide whether you're in a partner a company or anywhere just the world's i t workforce how quickly they can acquire those skills that they need to think about and and deploy cloud technologies because it is a little different and it's not it's not wildly different we haven't changed physics we haven't changed the speed of light you know it's the end of the day there's still computers running software it's just how you use them is a is a mindset shift that if you don't make you probably will be you'll not get the most out of the out of the platform so a lot of the stuff that I do to talk about the whether it be setting up a cloud center of excellence or working with a new set of partners or ideally both I believe most organizations should do is meant to both accelerate progress in the early stages but also to set up a vehicle within an organization that can be sustained to enable a larger set of individuals whether that be you know 10 to 50 different lines of business as a lot of enterprises are organized or whether that be a bunch of different agencies inside of a government but having a central team who kind of sees trends and patterns and reference architectures and can think about things like how you're going to set up your identity and do consolidated billing and do you know centralized financial management which starts to matter as you get to scale but really thinking about themselves as a customer oriented enabling organization a attitude of how can I help you? What do you need to do and how can I help you do it? As opposed to, well, you need to do it this way because this is the only way we as a company support, uh, I think is a very important, again, mindset shift. And then the, the partners who are doing it, um, you know, as evidenced by, you know, just the fact that we're having this conversation, you know, Rackner Solutions where, you know, um, you guys are doing your your work. You know, you weren't in the cloud ten years ago, right? Uh, right. So yeah. there's, there's a new set of, um, of 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 partners and companies that are there to help um, big enterprises make this shift. Many of whom um, have made earlier and more significant investments than others. And is causing some of these big enterprise and, and, and government agencies who normally would only work with super big global system integrators to question that approach and start to work with more modestly sized but quick, nimble, scrappy organizations to help them get the expertise and set them up for them, set themselves up for success. Absolutely, yeah, I know. I I think you it was uh, some something I read. You were quoted saying these organizations younger than my four-year-old daughter <laughs> are the yeah. ones that are sort of driving um, sort of this change, uh, and you know the ones who usually are first adopters, uh, just like we were. So I'm interested to hear, given you know current trends, and uh, you know there's a lot of really successful organizations like A Cloud Guru that are sort of um, educating a lot of people in cloud, specifically AWS, you know, um, the certification numbers go up by a lot every year. Um, but as you said, still not anywhere near enough. Do you see there being, you know, in, if you were to write a sequel to your book in 24, 36, 48 months, would you see it being very different? Do you think 
education and training would be a much smaller issue? Do you think that something like an enterprise migration would be significantly easier with new tools coming down the pipe? I know you worked on the migration acceleration program, uh, which you know did a lot for that. And do you think that in say three or four years, it will be a non-issue for, or much less of an issue for companies to sort of get onto the cloud if they're not there already? So love the work that A Cloud Guru is doing. Drew Fearment, who looks after their partners and alliances and, and has a heavy role in shaping the strategy of that business. He and I are our, our close friends. He, uh, he, he led Capital One's talent transformation journey. Which was amazing. Uh, yeah, and it, there's some anecdotes in my book around this, but he's largely responsible for putting together a program at Capital One that ultimately led to thousands of IT associates getting certified on, on AWS, which is just an amazing feat. Um, you know, and again, I talk about this a lot in my book, but what, what it comes down to for me is people are afraid of what they don't know. Um, and, you know, it's largely well known that people are afraid of change. And when you're trying to lead a massive transformation that's full of change, I've found um, through my own personal experience, but also with working with hundreds of customers, that the best way to get people over that fear is to teach them what they don't know. Um, and that's right. through things like training and certification, of course, but also there's no substitute for experience and just doing it. Uh, so I think those two things need to go hand in hand. People need to be given an opportunity to take training and to become certified because it's a goal for them to strive for so that they can take those things and use them in their real world experiences. But they also need to be given an opportunity to do stuff <laughs> using the new new skills that they're learning. Um, and sometimes I see one, but not, but not the other. And you know, it's less successful than if you do kind of both at the same time. Uh, I definitely think that three years from now, but then the other thing you said was, well, we have all these other things that are going to make migration easier. And that's absolutely true. I founded our migration acceleration program uh, back in November of 2015. It's grown far beyond my expectations or wildest dreams when we founded it in the beginning. And, you know, there are now hundreds of customers migrating hundreds or even thousands of applications to us and exiting dozens of data centers at a time. Um, and that program is still very alive and well, and we're continuing to make a lot of investments to bring the, <clears throat> the cost, complexity, and risk associated with um, not just large-scale migrations, but individual applications that we might commonly encounter <laughs> in those large-scale migrations down um, as fast as possible. But the trick is not training and certification and learning new things and you know, even at an individual level, but also at a macro level for an organization, it's not a one-time thing. And if it's anything that's been constant over the last 10 years is that the rate of change in the set of tools and technologies available for customers continues to increase, and that's going to continue to happen. So it's not just about like, okay, I need to learn what I need to do to do what's right in front of me today using public cloud technologies, but I also need to set myself up as a, as a technology professional in today's day and age to do that and be able to, at some reasonably level, reasonable level, constantly kind of stay current. Um, and that, that, that's a struggle that I don't, I, you know, I don't, I don't have the, the golden answer, you know, the silver bullet for that. Um, but I think, you know, three years from now, Machine learning and artificial intelligence is going to be deployed in a much more meaningful way across, 
you know, the, 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 certainly the enterprise, I'd argue also in, in, the, in the government space where, where you spend a lot of your time, although I'll admit I know a little bit less there. And, and that's going to create a whole new kind of change management and learning opportunity for people. So I, 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 I think the... I think the number of people who are educated on the public cloud as we know it today will obviously be much greater and there'll be less friction associated with that and it'll be easier to move. Um, but at the same time, there'll just be that next horizon that we have to be thinking about trading our, 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 our folks on as well. So, so speaking about that next horizon, um, you know, you said that nine, more than 90% of features on the AWS roadmap are uh, a direct result of conversations and feedback you get from customers. Werner Vogel spoke about this last week at the New York Summit keynote uh, too. Um, incidentally, there's some really great presentations at that keynote, uh, especially the Epic Games presentation from Fortnite that was actually extremely interesting. Um, and I definitely recommend looking at that for anybody who's listening to this. But um, given sort of this customer focus, sort of the current position of the market, I know you can't tell us any specifics, but what what's coming, you know, in the next year, two years? Is, yeah. is there going to be, obviously there's going to be a bit of everything because, you know, there's been an exponential increase in services, but. Yeah, I can talk about a couple of things. So inside of compute, um, you have this natural evolution of, that's happening right now of, of servers, you know, first of all, you had these kind of big monolithic mainframes that moved to, you know, big iron proprietary servers that moved to lower cost commoditized, you know, blade servers that then moved to virtualization. And then you had kind of the first version of the public cloud virtual machine infrastructure. And the, the next kind of two layers of that story, um, from our point of view, are, are containers where you can now encapsulate and pack and neatly organize applications into a unit uh, that can then be packed and organized onto computers much more efficiently and moved around and you know, made more portable. And then the next um, uh, level of that evolution is what we call serverless architectures, where you have something mm -hmm. like an AWS Lambda where a developer needs only to write their code deploy that into AWS Lambda and we'll scale up and down all the compute resources needed to do it where they, there's, the infrastructure is completely invisible um, to that developer. So I think the pendulum is swinging towards you know, that end of the spectrum where our customers are using a lot more containers and, and, and serverless architectures to find novel ways mm -hmm. to do things where there's less and less for them to think about. So you'll see a lot more in both the, you know, we've got a bunch of choice in containers today um, right. with ECS, our own uh, Amazon AWS Elastic Container Service, uh, and then AWS Fargate, which is a completely serverless container management system. Um, and then we also have support for Kubernetes within that. And then, of course, Lambda with uh, the serverless architecture. So you see a lot more there. Um, in data and analytics, we have a lot of customers who are tired of being um, uh, effectively held hostage by their old guard database vendors. Um, right. Those who, you know, impose punitive licensing terms and make their technology more expensive to use over time. Um, and customers just don't want to be treated that way anymore. Uh, so we've seen a lot of customers move towards some of our fully managed database offerings, whether they be our 
Dynamo NoSQL, DynamoDB NoSQL offering, or Amazon Aurora, our, our relational database. Uh, and there's a lot of investment and push to make those easier to use, easier to migrate to, um, <laughs> and you know, helping customers kind of move on to that. Then all the analytics that happen on top of that, and then you kind of jump into like uh, the machine learning, artificial intelligence, and that's something that Amazon has a long heritage of doing for the last 25 years, long since before I got here. You know, we use machine right. learning for things like product recommendations, optimizing how our fulfillment centers work, fraud detection, analyzing reviews, so on and so forth. But even for us, we found that it was harder than we thought it should be to use machine learning for everything we do. So we started to develop a number of services internally for, for um for our businesses to use, which now have led to AWS services that we want to make it easy for everybody to use machine learning. Um, so there's a whole bunch of layers to that stack, all of which are, you know, still under, all, all of which our customers are using, but we're continuing to listen very eagerly to our customers and building lots of features for us. So everything at the base layer for the hardcore data scientists using popular frameworks like MXNet, Apache MXNet, TensorFlow, Cafe, Theano, Torch, and the like. We have a managed service called SageMaker, um, where we, we just at the New York Summit, since you were there, we launched a number of significant features for SageMaker that's going to make it you know, a more fully featured platform where um, customers can train, deploy, um, the train model and deploy their models very, very quickly. Uh, without having to manage any of the infrastructure underneath. And then, of course, we have a number of managed services for things like video and image recognition, text-to-speech, and then we're also building a number of virtual reality and, and, and augmented reality services as well. So <laughs> I think if you look across that whole spectrum, um, you're going to see more in those thematic areas. Uh, and again, that is largely driven because that's why where our customers want us to go. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. I don't want to take up too much of your time, so I guess just as a little bit of a wrap-up, what, what are you most personally excited about um, sort of across those areas, AWS-related or not? Um, uh, great question. Um, I think it is amazing to uh, – I mean, first of all, I'm most excited about the business I'm building today, which unfortunately I can't share too much with you. So right. it's a little, <laughs> my, my answer is kind of like a runner-up. Um, uh, uh, but again, everybody, we, you know, we'll find out. Everybody will find out more about that in, in, in 2019. Uh, having said that, there has never been a better opportunity. There's never been a better time to work in and around technology, and the opportunity for really large enterprise organizations who, you know, have access to lots of capital, have a lot, have both both human and um, and and financial but feel like they're a little stuck and not making the progress that they wanted to make for the last couple of years and can't move fast enough. There's never been a better opportunity um, to shake things up and change. And there is a way to do it, um, you know, methodically uh, without, you know, disrupting everything that you're doing in your business and still being able to start to move more quickly and take advantage of some of this stuff. It's not an all or nothing proposition. And I'm most excited by watching some of these companies who you might never think would kind of make it out the other end, um, right. evolve their point of view 
and really start to employ some of these best practices some of which are written in my book and some of which i might not know about yet you know go through that evolution and really start to see results that's awesome yeah awesome well that was i think real informative i'm extremely excited to see the results of what your team's working on i'm sure we'll end up using it here rackner and thank you again so much for agreeing to be on the show yeah alex thanks a lot for having me it's a pleasure being here and thanks for your continued partnership awesome thank you very much